Okay. Um, I just want to remind you guys that, that your life isn't actually your life. Uh, as, we were, as we were singing that song, like, it's your breath in our lungs. I was just reminded of that fact that, like, my life isn't mine. I, I didn't do anything to create myself. Like, I didn't choose to exist. God chose for me to exist. He chose to put breath in my lungs. And, and he made that, that choice for all of you, too. So, like, I just think it's important to recognize something that your life really isn't yours. It's not. You are living on borrowed breath. You're living on borrowed time. You are not your own. And that's a really important idea to get a hold of. And I love what Caleb was talking about. Um, just this idea of like yielding control of your life to him. Because his ways are higher. His ways are better. And what he has for you is so much better than like what you have for yourself. Okay? So that's, that's totally unrelated to what I'm talking about. But I just really felt pressed to remind you guys that your life isn't yours. Okay? Will you remember that? It's easy to forget. It's easy to think that our life is ours, but it's not. Um, yeah, well, with that being said, uh, if you haven't been with us at all, we are in a series called Kingdom Culture. And all semester, we've been exploring um, different elements of the culture of God's kingdom. And each week, we've kind of recast the vision for this sermon series. And I love that we've done that, and I'm going to do it again. Uh, and the reason I love that we do that is because this idea of kingdom is so important. Kingdom. Kingdom, the, the word kingdom just simply means the rule and reign of a king. And that word's important. It's, it's something that Jesus actually refers to over 80 times in the four different gospels. Jesus was constantly talking about the kingdom. And we can, like, lose sight of that sometimes. I think that we put a ton of emphasis, as we should, on the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross uh, rose from the dead to deal with our sin and to give us new life. And he, he absolutely did that. But another big thing that Jesus came to do on this earth was show us what his kingdom was like. To show us what his kingdom was like. If you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15, Jesus has just been baptized. Uh, he then withdrew to the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. And then he came back, right? And he came back preaching a message. And we get his message here in Mark 1, 14 through 15. It's, it's only two verses, but it says this. Now after Jesus was arrested, or after John was arrested, sorry, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So when I hear that word gospel, I think of like the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I think of the idea, like that story, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead for our sin. But that hasn't happened yet. None of that's happened yet. And it says Jesus comes proclaiming the gospel. That word gospel just means good news. And so what is the good news? The good news is that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is here. Jesus came on the scene after, after being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days saying, I have good news for everybody and the good news is that the kingdom's here. And then for the next three years, he, he just time after time showed us what the kingdom looks like. Over 80 times in the four Gospels. So many parables start out with, the kingdom of God is like blank. This idea of kingdom is so important for us to get a hold of. Jesus came to bring a kingdom and he invites us into a kingdom. And if your faith is in Jesus, you're actually a citizen of his kingdom. But the thing is, there's another kingdom at play. There is a kingdom called the world that you live in. In the world that you live in, that kingdom is, is staunchly opposed to the kingdom of King Jesus. 
the kingdom of this world has an agenda. And the king of this world, Satan, right? He's actually referred to as the god of this world, the king of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. He has an agenda. And his agenda, John chapter 10, verse 10, says to, it's to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the devil is after. He wants to steal and to kill and destroy. His agenda is to disconnect us from the source of life, which is God. And he's very crafty and good at what he does. He's good at, at coercing us into the current or the course of the world that we live in. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. I believe I read this a few weeks ago when I preached, but I'm going to read it again because I think it really illuminates this idea of, of like the kingdom of this world. It's opposed to God's kingdom. Here it is. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Apart from God, what are we all doing? We are all following the course of this world. It's like you're just kind of in a river. Think of the world as like a river, and it's just flowing in one direction. Apart from Jesus, you're just going to go along with the flow of the world that you live in. But who is the one that sets the course of this world? It's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. It's the enemy. He's the one that, that dictates the course of this world and influences the course of this world. But the next verse, verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So every single one of you and me, we were, we were just going along with the current of the world that we live in. But Jesus comes along and he saves us. He snatches us up out of that river and he brings us into his kingdom. And we have been made alive now together with Christ. And so to, to be citizens of his kingdom, it's so important that we are able to discern the kingdom of this world from the kingdom of God. It's so important, and that's what we're trying to do with this series. We're trying to expose ways that the kingdom of this world look, just looks so much different than the kingdom of Jesus. And we want to help align you with the kingdom of King Jesus, because that's the kingdom we're citizens of. And you know, there's some elements of the course of this world that are really like, obvious, you know, like se sexual immorality. Maybe, maybe that's becoming less and less obvious, but Grant talked about that last week, or, or like substance abuse, or hatred, or disunity, or a lot of these like very more obvious sinful things that we see the Bible warn against, but I don't want to talk about any of those things today. The, the thing that I want to press into today is way more subtle. I would say it could be just as destructive, but it's way more subtle. It looks way more innocent, Today, I want to explore hurry, busyness, and distraction. And then I want to explore the kingdom alternative, which is rest. Sound good? Cool. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we love you. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd come. And I just ask that you would clear our minds of distraction. And help us to just engage with you. I don't even care so much that people hear what I have to say today. I, I just want people to hear what you have to say. And I want people to see you and encounter you and hear you. And just come to love you and receive more of your love. So I just pray that, that in, in whatever I'm about to say for the next 20, 30 minutes, 
um, I just pray that that would happen. I pray that people's attention would be on you and that you would just come and speak and align us with your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm just, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about hurry, busyness, and distraction, okay? So the world that we live in, um, people have been busy forever, right? Busyness, hurry, distraction, none of those things are new, but we live in a time as human, where humans are capable, feels like we're just capable of doing so much more than people have ever been able to do. We are capable of doing so much more, and we're, we're even capable of, like, adopting so much change in our life, more so than ever before. People, like, few hundred years ago, they, they couldn't do nearly as much as we can now, and they couldn't change nearly as much as we can now. Like, you just think about all the things that we can do. Think about technology. Think about, like, the capability for connection that we have. I could FaceTime a friend in China and see his face and talk to him. That was unthinkable 50 years ago. Just the internet and social media, try, try to explain Instagram to, like, a person from the 1800s if they were alive. They wouldn't even be able to fathom the idea of that. Or, or travel. Think about how much travel has, has changed. You, you could be in another country tomorrow. You could be on the, other, on the west coast in like five hours. Before, that would take like three months. And if you went with a group of 20 people, half of them would die from some disease. Like, you can get there in five hours now. That's crazy. The world, like, we're just capable of doing so much. And I think we, because we're capable of doing so much, we try to. And because we can, we can adopt so much change in our life, we try to. I was just looking, random statistic, the U.S. Department of Labor uh, says the average person will change careers five to seven times during their working life. Approximately 30% of the total workforce will change jobs every 12 months. Man, like my dad uh, had a job and he worked that job until he retired. <laughs> like, but we can just change so much, and so people are constantly like, we're just changing, and we're, we're wanting to try different things and do more, and I think we try to do even so much more than, than maybe what's even good for us. If you're anything like me, you are prone to trying to fill every waking minute of every waking day with activity. We have, we have these to-do lists that would require twice the amount of time than we actually have. <laughs> we are very good as people at being busy. We are. Who... Who in this room, at least once this semester, has felt busy? Raise your hand, if anybody. Yeah? I think that's everyone. Okay, what about, what about once in the past week, if you felt busy in the past week or hurried? Okay. How about in the past day? Okay. Still, that's, okay, that was more than I thought. Man, it's a weekend, guys. Come on. You should be relaxing. Jeez. Yeah, no, like, that's, that's how we are. We're so good at being busy. If, if I were to have, like, a one-minute how are you conversation with everyone in this room, I would be willing to bet that over half of people, this, this is what their answer would be. They'd be like, oh, I'm doing pretty good, John. Just like really, I'm feeling really busy. I've been so busy lately. That's like just the, the answer now, right? That's the normal answer. It's almost like we wear it as a badge of honor too. Like I, I need to make sure that you know that I'm busy because you, you need to just know that I'm doing something. That's kind of how we, we treat it, you know? Like, we need people to make sure we're doing, know that we, we are doing something. We wear busyness like this badge of honor. And I would say it's, it's not actually a badge of honor. I, I would say that, that we have actually bought into a lie and that the pace that our culture lives at and the pace that our culture tells us to live at is not actually good for us. And I would also say it's new. Like, it's a new pace. I don't think people have been living at the pace that we live at throughout history. 
I think that we've bought into a lie. I, I would argue that living a life of busyness and hurry is not actually healthy for our soul. John Mark Comer, he's an author I really like, uh, in, in his book, Ruthless Nation of Hurry, he's quoting another author named Ruth Haley Barton uh, on 10 signs or symptoms that you are moving too fast through life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through and read these. One, irritability. Two, hypersensitivity. Restlessness, meaning you, you can't rest, like you have a tough time falling asleep or like you just feel restless. Four, compulsive overworking. Emotional numbness. Escapist behaviors, like binge-watching a TV show for five hours. Disconnect from our purpose or identity. Not able to attend to basic human needs, such as eat, sleep, uh, exercise. Hoarding energy. This one's interesting. This is like that feeling that you, you, you kind of back out of social interaction or commitment because you, just, you, don't, you feel too spent. You don't feel like you have enough capacity to be around people. And then the last one, but most important, slippage in our spiritual practices or disciplines. I think a lot of us could probably check multiple of those off that list and say that those are present in our life. Another quote from his book, once again quoting another author, uh, here it is. Corey Ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and to your own soul. That's interesting. Sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, other people, and your own soul. That's profound. And the thing is, like, the way that we rest in our generation, the culture we live in, I would say is an even bigger problem than busyness and hurry. The way that we rest is actually just distraction. The way we unplug is like the idea of rest that we have is, is not actually rest. It's not real rest. Your phone is not something that will give you rest in your soul. I promise. And I am a hypocrite. I am such a hypocrite because, you know, you get home. It's a long day. You've been interacting with people. You just want to lay on the couch and scroll through YouTube or Instagram or TikTok or whatever your thing is that you're into and that doesn't recharge your soul. That is not good or healthy for your soul. That isn't actually rest. A survey from Microsoft found that 77% of young adults answer yes when asked, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. And I actually think 77% is pretty low. I think it's higher than that. When nothing's occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. Man, how much more rest would we live in? How much, how much like, healthier would our soul be if when nothing was occupying our attention, the first thing we reached for was Jesus? Oh my gosh, we would be so much healthier. And it's, it's worse than the phone thing. I think for many people in our culture, the, the, the remedy for busyness and, and the hurry of life is, is medicated by things that are way more problematic than just being on your phone. Maybe it's masturbating to porn when you get home or or having a few drinks, or smoking some weed to take off the edge. We live in a culture that distracts rather than rests, and we live in a culture that medicates rather than heals and recharges. And we live in these extremes. We're either like so busy and so hurried, or we are just numbed by distraction. And both are attempts of our flesh to keep our soul detached from God 
and our emotions in the present moment that we're in right now. Both are toxic to our soul and will yield undesirable results in the long run, I promise you. I will make the case that what I've been talking about for the past 10 minutes, and hopefully I've gotten my point across, I would, make, I would argue that what I've been talking about, that this, all of this is a tactic of the enemy and of his kingdom. This is, th- what I'm explaining, this busyness and this hurry and this distraction, this is part of the, the course of this world. This is part of the flow of that river, and we are so easily sucked up by it. And it's a tactic of the enemy and his kingdom. Is this what God intended us to live like? Is this what his kingdom looks like? No way, it's not, I promise. I want to I give two examples, two biblical examples from scripture that, that show us a better way and that show us what, what rest looks like and what it's supposed to look like in the kingdom of God. Okay, that's, that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of our time. Just two biblical examples. First thing I want to talk about is creation. I'm actually reading the same scripture that we read last week. Um, Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to pick up on day 6 of creation. I'm going to read chapter 1, 26 through chapter 2, verse 3. For those who have Bibles and want to turn there, I'll let you do that. Okay. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So many things I could talk about in Genesis chapter 1. But I want to pull out a few uh, just themes and ideas that pertain to rest. Um, And I'll just say, God is intentional about every element of this story. Okay, every part of it, I think, is there for a reason, and there's intention behind it. And we could spend weeks, we could do probably a whole sermon series on just the creation story. But I want to just pull out three ideas that pertain to, to rest. First, and I've never really thought about this until this week, but I just, it's interesting. God took his time in creation. We're talking about the God who has all power. He, he is formless and timeless and immaterial. He created time and space and matter. He has all power. He could have made the earth and everything in it, in the universe we live in, in one day. Or even in one minute if he wanted to. But he took his time. 
He wasn't in a hurry. He made everything in six days. It's funny with, with God, and, and I, there's a lot of examples I could dig into in Scripture, but sometimes God, it's like he intentionally just moves slowly. <laughs> and it frustrates people. It frustrates us. It feels like we're always wanting God to just do stuff fast, like do stuff right now, right here. But the Bible tells us to wait on the Lord over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. By my count, over 30 times in Scripture, we are commanded to wait on the Lord. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And I could read over 30 other scriptures that give you a similar command to wait on the Lord. If we're, if we're having to be commanded all the time to wait on the Lord, it means that sometimes God's just not in a hurry. Sometimes he moves slowly. We need to be okay with that. Like, we want immediate results. We want things right now. We want fast and easy. But God isn't always that way. He was not in a rush when he created everything. Six days. That's the first thing. Second thing. Interesting thing to note. Maybe some of you have not thought about this before. But Adam and Eve's first full day, they were created on the sixth day. Their first full day of life was the day of rest. And they're given, I, I read for you in Genesis 1 and 2, like they are given this huge mission to partner with God and to, to have dominion over the earth and to subdue it and to be fruitful and to multiply. Like that is a huge task for two people. Step one, rest for a whole day. I have this huge thing I want you to do, Adam and Eve, but the first thing I want you to do is rest. We don't think about that. We think of kind of, of rest as like the last thing because it happened on the last day of creation. But for Adam and Eve, it was the first thing for them. And I think that this communicates a profound idea that, that I would say man was made to work from a place of rest, not towards a place of rest. And you even see this in Jewish culture. The Jewish day didn't start in the morning when you wake up. The Jewish day actually started at sundown the day before. It, it started with rest. You know, how does, how does the day start in, in Jewish culture? It starts with a meal with your family. And then clicking the off switch for eight or nine hours or whatever. I actually heard Thomas Edison, before the, Thomas Edison created the light bulb, the average human, you know how long they slept? 11 hours. Isn't that crazy? So you, the, the day started with, you know, a meal with your family and long hours of sleep. And then you get up and you work. Right? That's a profound idea, and I think that that's kind of woven into the fabric of the creation story, that man was made to work from a place of rest, not towards a place of rest. And then the third idea, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more extensively about this one, but, but God rested. God rested. Just, just think about that for a second. God rested. He's God. If anyone does not re need rest, it's him, but he chose to rest. And he, I believe there, there's probably a, a few reasons as to why, but one of the major ones is he's setting an example for us. If God, who definitely doesn't need rest, rested, oh my gosh, how much more do we need to rest? And by rest, I don't mean God laid on the couch and watched Netflix for six hours. That is not what I mean. That word rest, it's the, the Hebrew word Shabbat. It does not mean to be lazy. That word simply means to cease or to stop. 
It doesn't mean to be distracted. It means to desist or to abstain. The word rest, Shabbat, it literally was the name of their seventh day. In in the day of Shabbat, it's the day of rest. That word just means to stop. Rest is, is wired into the fabric of creation, stopping. This idea of just taking a step back, kind of putting all of the things that need to be done to the side and just stopping. It's, it's woven into the fabric of creation. I, in, in the past few years, I've grown to appreciate winter a lot more. People hate on winter because it's cold. But, but I think winter is like a really cool image of rest that God has kind of built into the universe. Or, or our planet, I guess. I don't know. Winter happens on other planets, whatever. Um, but yeah, the earth just kind of stops for a few months. Plants and trees and, and animals, like they just kind of stop. Animals go into hibernation. You even think of how like rest is built into our human experience. Like you have to sleep. If you don't, you lose your mind. You go crazy. You, ha- you are built with an off switch. We see rest when we look at the earth, and it's, it's no surprise. Romans 1, 19 through 20 says, What can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. That scripture is saying that God's nature, who, he's, who he is and what he's like, can be seen through creation, through this world that we live in, and we see that that rest is wired into the world that we live in. Rest is actually so important. Not not only did God rest uh, on the seventh day, but but God actually put rest into the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. I think this is actually probably one of the Ten Commandments we forget about most often. We don't really think of Sabbath and rest as one of the Ten Commandments, but it is. In verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's with you, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Rest didn't even just make it into the Ten Commandments. A lot of the Ten Commandments just get like one verse, like thou shalt not steal. Rest gets four verses. Sabbath gets four verses in the Ten Commandments. Like, this is important. God cares about rest. And actually, if you go back and look at the Old Testament, breaking the Sabbath was a crime that was punishable by death. They took this seriously. Like, there are stories in the Old Testament of people being executed because they broke the Sabbath. And I believe this is, this is like God just trying to show us how important rest is. And he knows that us as humans are so quick to forget. We are so quick to lose sight of what's important for us. And so I think that's why this issue of Sabbath is, is handled with so much um, severity and importance. God wants us to get it. He wants us to understand that, that rest is so important. I'll, I'll touch a little bit more on Sabbath uh, at the end. But I want to move on to that second biblical example uh, where we can learn a lot about rest in the kingdom of God. And with this one, I I just simply want to talk about the way of Jesus. Jesus understood rest. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you want to live a life free of busyness and hurry and distraction, and you want to live a life of rest, step one, come to Jesus. But also, I would say, study and emulate the life of Jesus, because he so understood rest. We'll just look at a few things here. First, just look at the way Jesus went about his ministry. It's shocking if you think about it. Like, if if someone gave me this mission of like, hey, you're going to go and you're going to start a movement that changes the entire course of history. I would think, okay, I need to get like the best and brightest. I need to get some of the smartest people that live um, together to follow me. We we need to get some horses so that we can get around real fast. And we're going to go to the most strategic places and cities and social centers in the the world. And we're going to work around the clock. No time off. Like, we got to change the world. This is a big mission. Jesus is like, no, no way. We're not doing any of that stuff. Jesus is like, let's get some fishermen, (laughs) some uneducated people. We're going to walk everywhere slowly. It's going to take a lot of time. We're going to spend a lot of our time just walking. We're going to spend a lot of time in in, uh, totally just away from people, significant chunks of time just withdrawn in the wilderness. And we're going to just spend a lot of time praying and communing with God. That was Jesus' strategy and his mission to, to transform the world and to start a movement that changed history. I mean, look at this. Look at Luke 5, 15 through 16. It says, Now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus was constantly getting these huge crowds of people kind of coming to him in hordes. And, and you know, he would heal them and he would preach to them and teach, but then he'd just run away. <laughs> he would withdraw to the wilderness, to desolate places, and he would pray. By our standards, Jesus was busier than any of us have ever been, right? He had more going on than any of us have ever had going on, yet he placed such a high priority on withdrawing and and just getting away and being with his father. He placed such a high priority on, on resting, and I just, a little bit of a side tangent, but like, you will make time for what's important to you. You will. I, 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 so much of the time, and I've, I've used this as an excuse myself, but like when, when I'll ask people, you know, are you spending time with God? What's the, what's the response? I just I haven't had any time. You're full of crap. <laughs> you do have time. I promise you, you have time. If the cute girl or guy that you want to go on a date with hits you up and says, hey, let's go get dinner, I guarantee you, you will make time for that. Guarantee you. Why? Because it's important to you. And so when we, when we neglect time, when we let busyness and hurry get in, in the way of us withdrawing and being with God, really what we're communicating with God is, God, you're not important to me. You might not directly say that, but that's what you're communicating to him. You are not, impo- you are not important enough for me to deserve some of my time. You will make time for what's important for you, uh, in, in your life. Jesus had more going on than any of us have ever had. He had th- have you ever had thousands of people like following you everywhere you go, trying to get healed 
and talk to you and just like touch your clothes? No, you've never had that. I haven't either. Yet Jesus would withdraw to these desolate places and he'd pray. He'd get away with the Father. He would rest. Even though Jesus seemed busy by all of our standards and had unlimited needs always in front of him, he was never in a hurry and he never like seemed busy. And the reason I say he never seemed busy is because he was never too busy to show compassion on people. I think I think one of the biggest threats of busyness and hurry and distraction is that they kill compassion in our life. They blind us to the needs of people around us. Our, our focus is just set completely on what we need to get done or what you have coming up in 10 minutes in your Google Calendar. Like, and we don't have compassion on people. There are times where Jesus would be trying to withdraw to the wilderness to be with God which is a good thing. He should do that. But then he'd be met with tons of people and, and he would show compassion on them. Look at Matthew 14, 13 through 14. It says, now when Jesus heard this, so context, Jesus has just found out that his cousin, think of your cousin, think of a cousin that you love and care about. He just got word that his cousin had his head chopped off, okay? His head just got axed by King Herod. Jesus it says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Fair. I would want to do the same thing. I would want to just get away and process and mourn. Jesus is trying to withdraw from it. Uh, in, okay, now Jesus heard this. He withdrew there from, from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. And healed their sick. Jesus was never too busy or in too much of a hurry to show compassion. He was always willing to stop for the one, to love someone that, that needed to be loved by him, to heal someone that was sick. Hurry and busyness quench our ability to, I think, also receive love from God, but to, to give love to God and to other people and to show compassion. Consider the, the invitation Jesus gives us. I love the invitation Jesus gives us. He, he says, follow me. I love that. Not check a box, not call yourself a Christian, not pray a prayer. Follow me. Walk the speed that I walk. Have compassion when I have compassion on people. Follow me into interruption. Follow me into the mess that is the needs of other people. Follow me into the secret desolate place with the Father. Follow me. That's what he asks us to do. Follow him. And, and what I'm talking about today with, with busyness and hurry and distraction and rest, I, I want to clarify something. This sermon, is, I'm not advocating laziness at all. Jesus ha had a lot going on. Jesus worked hard. He was not lazy. And in fact, he like, didn't let his disciples be lazy either. Jesus, like, gave his disciples work often. Look at Luke 9, 1 through 6. He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure disease, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and, and do not depart, or stay there. Wow, I can't read. Stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when, they leave, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing 
everywhere. Jesus even gave his disciples work. He sent them out to go proclaim the gospel and to heal the sick and to cast out demons. That's, that's work. That's a hard task. But effective work necessitates rest. If you just look a few verses later, in Luke 9, 10, this is the CSB translation. His disciples have done that. They've healed the sick. They've cast out demons. They've preached the gospel, and they come back. And it says, when the apostles returned, they told him all they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. It's a quiet, small town. Jesus gave his disciples this mission. They complete it. They come back, and he's like, okay, let's get away, and let's go, and let's, let's rest. Rest is, is such an integral part of Jesus' ministry, retreating and withdrawing and being with the Father and, and even stopping the mission that he was on was such an integral part of Jesus' ministry. So it should be an integral part of our life. We need this. If Jesus made space for rest in his life, so should we. So I want to get into a few quick applications. I have, I have four applications. And there are so many things that I could, like, give you as, like, hey, imp- try to implement this in your life. But there are just four that came to my mind. I feel like these are from the Holy Spirit. Um, and so hopefully they land. Hopefully some of these are convicting to you and you're able to apply them uh, to your life. So first thing I want to talk about is Sabbath. This idea of having a day of rest. Now, people have a lot of different, like, convictions about Sabbath. There's Christians that are like, yes, it's lo- we need to be practicing Sabbath. Like, if, if you want to obey Jesus, that, that's a command. If you're not doing it, it's sinful. I'm personally not in that camp. In my opinion, it doesn't seem like there's a New Testament mandate for practicing a day of rest, like something you have to do in the same way that is seen in the Old Testament. And my reason for that is because Jesus uh, so often, like, totally turned the idea of Sabbath on its head. He intentionally, like, went and did stuff he wasn't supposed to do on the Sabbath just because the Pharisees and the religious leaders got really legalistic about it. Here's an example, Luke 9, 1 through 6. Uh, He called the twelve together. Oh, wait, no, that's, I already read that. Um, Okay. Mark 2, 23 through 28. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, how he, or, and, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is kind of uh, speaking into two different really important Old Testament principles. One is this idea of food in the temple. I'm not going to get too into it, but the only people that were supposed to eat that food was the priests, okay? And David, a man after God's heart, went and ate the food, right? And then there's also this thing, Sabbath, like Jesus' disciples are, are plucking grain, and technically you're not supposed to farm or harvest anything on the Sabbath. That broke the, the religious law at that time. And Jesus is addressing these two things, and, and the, the message Jesus is trying to get across is, like, you guys are missing the spirit of the law, and you're so fixed and set on the word of the law. And, and it's like Sabbath is something that God made for you, 
Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And these religious leaders, like, had, had, they, were, they were teaching and living under all of these extra added laws related with the Sabbath. They just became so legalistic about this idea of Sabbath that they had totally missed the point. And so Jesus constantly is healing on the Sabbath, constantly just letting his disciples do things they're not supposed to do on the Sabbath to get this point across, that, that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But... With all of that in mind, Sabbath is still, it's, it's something that's all over Scripture, and it's something that I believe is extremely valuable to practice. And I think it's extremely valuable, uh, and it produces good spiritual health in our life. And so what I mean by Sabbath is just this idea of, like, taking a day and just stopping, Okay? And I don't mean just living a, a day where you're just distracted all day, watching movies and stuff. Not, not a day to be lazy, but a day to just stop the things that you're, you're spending the other six days of the week doing and just setting your attention on Jesus. A day where you're, you're present with the people that you love, your family, your friends, whoever that is. A mentor of mine uh, shared, me, shared with me this really good filter that, that I use when it comes to Sabbath. And it's these two questions. Is it rest and is it worship? Is it rest? If the answer is yes, okay, that's a great thing to do on a, on a Sabbath-type day. Or is it worship? Yes, that's a, if, if so, that's a great thing to do on a Sabbath day. It's, it's hard to do this, though. Like, me and Ashley, we've been trying to be better about practicing Sabbath this school year. And we are like, we're like shooting 50% maybe. <laughs> like it is so hard and when you try to just take a day to to just stop like something that I will do sometimes on a Sabbath day is I'll just I'll put my phone in a drawer right and and not touch it because it's not restful for me and I, it's probably not restful for you either. Um, when you do that like it's just so hard. Everything in you just wants to work and to be busy and to get stuff done and just be super productive but but in the days where we actually have Sabbath well, I feel so, like, spiritually healthy and just recharged and connected to God by the end of the day. Don't be legalistic about it, but I'm just encouraging you. This is a really, a, I think, a really healthy practice to implement in your life. And it's a, it's a thing that will really, like, I believe, detach you from the current, that's, or like the, the pace and the current that the world is moving in. Rest, though, I mean, it shouldn't just be a day. It's not like we should just live crazy, busy, hurried, distracted lives except for this one day, and then we should rest. No, I, I believe rest should be a rhythm that exists throughout our day, every day. So my second application is create margin in your day-to-day -day life. Create margin in your day-to-day -day life. I think too often we, we are just, we're too busy to see God. We are just running from thing to thing to thing, and, and there's no just time for us to even be able to see God. And the, and the thing is, and I've harped on this a lot already, but when we do have, you know, a 20-minute gap between classes or a 30-minute gap before a meeting, we just fill that time with our phone. And I think that what we're doing is we are deteriorating our ability to see God. Create margin in your life. It's something I, I'm, once again, I'm bad at this. I'm, I'm preaching this sermon to myself. Like, I actually honestly feel like a hypocrite up here talking about all these things because they're so hard to do. But, 
But this school year, I've been trying to do that. I've been trying to just like space out meetings a little bit more and, and just have a little bit of free time. And man, I, I feel like whenever I, I have margin in my life, some, it's so common that I'll, I'll just like hear the Holy Spirit tell me to do something and it will, it will produce God's kingdom coming or, or me experiencing rest. I, uh, a couple weeks ago, we, I had like 30 minutes to kill before we were going to leave campus. And, you know, I sat down, I was in TUC and I like pull out my phone and I'm like, this is not a good way to spend 30 minutes. God, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, I should just go walk. I should just walk around campus. And so I just went and walked around campus and and I felt this little kind of tug to, to go down to the basketball courts. That's a thing that I've been um, doing a lot more this semester, playing basketball. And so I go down there, and as soon as I go in, I, I see this guy that I'd met the day before, and I had a spiritual conversation with him, just a short little spiritual conversation. And, and we kind of picked up where we left it off and talked for five minutes, and then I left, and, and it was nothing. Like, it was nothing dramatic or crazy, like, but... I, as I was leaving there, I was just like, man, this, the past 30 minutes were so much better and more restful, and I saw the kingdom so much more than I would have if I was just on my phone for 30 minutes. Nothing would have happened if I was on my phone for 30 minutes. I would have just seen the time that I need to leave, put my phone down, and it just felt drained and not rested at all and not encouraged at all. And I was just numb myself for 30 minutes. Create margin in your day-to-day -day life. Just give yourself gaps of time to put your attention on Jesus and to slow down and to just stop. Third thing, embrace interruption. Embrace interruption. I think that we, it's almost like we have a death grip on our schedules sometimes and on our life. But when we embrace interruption, it's kind of like our grip just gets pried off of this death grip we have on our on our schedule. Jesus, as I already explained, was constantly interrupted, and interruption doesn't feel restful, usually, but I think that when we are willing to be interrupted, that shows that we're living our life from a place of rest. If we're not living our life from a place of rest, we will never be willing to be interrupted, because we got to get to that, that next thing, you know. C.S. Lewis, he said, how you respond to an interruption is who you really are. I love that. How you respond to interruption is who you really are. Jesus was constantly interrupted and constantly showing compassion on people. As I explained, John 5.19, though, it says this. It says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. That's kind of a cool scripture when you consider how often Jesus was interrupted. Because it's saying Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. So whenever Jesus engaged with an interruption, he was doing that because it's something he saw the Father doing. Right? And so if Jesus was doing that, like we, how much more should we do that? I, I'm so, like, not good at embracing interruption, but I've noticed that when I do, God shows up. I think the kingdom can be found in interruption a lot of the time, just this past week, I, I have an international student friend that I've been working out with and sharing Jesus with, and um, we, we were at the gym, I don't even remember what day, but we were working out, and we were maybe like 30 minutes into our workout, and I noticed this guy just like wreathing in pain on the floor, like just laying on the ground in pain, and, and uh, I'm like, okay, if I, if I embrace this interruption, um, there's a good chance that 
not only is our workout going to be interrupted, but like my whole day, who knows, this guy might need a ride to the hospital, like this could throw off the, my entire day. But I really, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, go be interrupted, go see if this guy needs help. So I go and, and sure enough, he like popped his back and had some really bad injury and he was struggling, like this guy was not okay. And um, I'm like, well, do you want to go to the hospital? And uh, I didn't want the UC like rec staff to, to see him because they definitely would have called an ambulance because this guy was not well. And he's like, yeah, I need to go to the hospital. And so I'm like, okay, to my international student friend, I'm like, I'm taking this guy to the hospital. You can come with me if you want, but whatever. And he's like, I'll come with you. And so we, we take him to the hospital. We drop him off. Um, we come back. And I, I get on with my next thing. I'm meeting with someone. And then I get a text from the guy. He's like, are you still here? I'm done at the hospital. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, okay. And so I go back, and we pick him up and, and drop him off and, and help him get medicine, whatever. It was just this whole big thing. It took, like, three or four hours. And, uh, but afterwards, I was thinking about it, and I'm like, dang, the kingdom totally showed up in, in this situation. Like, I'm really trying to disciple my international student friend. He's not a Christian. And I probably discipled him more today by being interrupted and stepping into a, another person's need than I've ever discipled him in, in like the 10 times that we've met together. You know, he got to see, like, and, and even himself stop what we're doing and meet the need of another person. That's what Jesus was constantly doing. And so, and, and he got to hear me talk to the guy in the car about Jesus and, and just love him and help him and be willing to, you know, do whatever was needed. And I, I think that the international student friend really got to see what the kingdom's like. You got to, to experience interruption. And so I just share that story to say, like, if you see a need in front of you, if there's an opportunity to show compassion, like, you never know what God's going to do there. So be willing to be interrupted. Embrace interruption. Last thing, and I'll, I'll wrap up here. Um, this one has changed my life. I'll just say that. This, this last application has changed my life, and it's changed my marriage. It's, it's totally transformed me. I just want to talk about uh, urgent versus important, and if you're a guy, a disciple, you've probably heard me talk about this, but I want to talk about urgent versus important. Life is full of things that are urgent, important, or, or some combination of those two things, right? What's, what's some urgent things you have going on? The assignment that's due in a few hours, that's urgent. You need to get that done in a few hours or else you're going to get points taken off, whatever. That's, that's urgent. Or your job tomorrow morning, you got to wake up for it at 7 a.m. That is urgent. What are some things in life that are important? Relationships, really. Primarily your relationship with God, the one who made you. Your relationship with your spouse, if you're married in the room. Your relationship with your family. Those things are they're so important. And we live in a world, and I think this is even true in the church, where we sacrifice the things that are important for the things that are urgent all of the time. I mean, how many marriages end because the, uh, one person was unfaithful to their spouse? And when I say unfaithful, they, they cheated on their spouse with their job. <laughs> their job was more important than their marriage or more urgent than their marriage. It happens constantly. I think that example I used earlier, like, I don't have time to spend with God. It's because you're filling your time with things that are urgent and you're letting the things that are important die. 
If you and, and if I spend our life sacrificing the things that are, that are important for the things that are urgent, you will be on your deathbed full of regret someday. Because that's where, that's where sacrificing important for urgent gets you. If you live that way, you will experience regret at the end of your life. I guarantee it. I remember my, my first year um, being married was also my first year on staff. And uh, by the way, people that are professional Christians and work for churches or are missionaries are, are no less like prone to, to busyness and hurry as, and distraction as anyone else. Um, my first year on staff was also my first year being married. And um, I was like such a workaholic. Like I just would probably work like 70 hours a week. Like I was just doing way too much. And, and I didn't know it, but like what I was, I was neglecting an extremely important relationship that God had given me, my relationship with my wife. And I remember I, I sat down with a mentor of mine, and uh, maybe, whatever, maybe Ashley and I were probably like having some difficulties, and I was telling him about them, and I didn't really know how he would respond, and he just shredded me. He was like, bro, you, you are sacrificing your most important ministry, which is your wife, to ministry, which is good, but it's no, not nearly as important as the ministry that is your marriage. And, and he just shifted my paradigm and helped me to, to see, like, I, if I want to live a healthy life, and I, if I want to live a life where I'm a good steward of the relationships God's given me, I must not sacrifice what's important to what is urgent. Right? And I, I think that if we're constantly just living for what's urgent, we are going to be so busy and hurried and distracted, and it's just not a healthy way to live. So prioritize what's important. God invites us into rest. Psalm 46, 10 through 11, I'm going to close with this. Worship team, you can come up. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I think a lot of us probably just need to take inventory and be still and know that he's God. I think a lot of us desperately need the rest that he has for us. So I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we love you. And, uh, God, I just pray that you would get all of us to a point where we, when we take inventory of our life, what we see would, would look a whole lot more like rest than busyness and hurry and distraction. I pray that you would help us to just be free from those things. I pray you'd help us to be less addicted to our phones. I pray that we would be more addicted to you. Because Jesus, you offer us rest for our soul. And that is what we need. That is what we need. So I just, I just pray as we worship right now that you would speak to us. Show us how to apply what we've heard this morning. If it's in a way different than what I shared, then, then speak to us. Jesus, we, just, we know one thing, and it's, it's that we need you. And we're here for you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.